Welcome to the To Be Honest podcast. Today, I am talking with Valerie Brylovsky. Valerie is originally from the Bay Area and a current first-year student at Pomona College. She is interested in topics ranging from cognitive science to public policy and likes exploring the intersections between her interests. Outside of school, Valerie is a poet and writes short stories and essays, which she has been doing since she was young. She is a passionate advocate for mental health, not only because of her experience with anxiety, but also through knowing others who have struggled with mental health. She hopes to normalize mental health and start more conversations surrounding these issues. So welcome to the podcast, Valerie. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I like to start off by asking every guest, to be honest, how are you doing today? To be honest, I am feeling much better today. I had a little bit of a rough weekend, but I am sort of going into this week with a fresh start and I've been feeling pretty productive, so I'm good. Yeah, that's a good perspective to have, like a clean slate going into the week. Yes. Uh, that's awesome. And it's Valentine's Day, so hopefully either you're taking care of yourself, loving on yourself, or someone else. <laughs> Self-care day. Self-care. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to get started by talking a little bit about your background. Um, I know you have experience with generalized anxiety disorder and um, obsessive compulsive disorder. So I was wondering if you could share a bit about your experience with that um, when you were first diagnosed and also maybe explain a little bit about how those look to you, how you experience those. Right. So I was first diagnosed with both disorders when I was about 13 years old, although I was having symptoms, you know, a few years back before then, and they were kind of building up and I just didn't really know what to call them. I, when I was younger, I was always more of just kind of a worrier, cautious type of person. And on the one hand, you know, that made me worry more, but I was also very perceptive and hyper aware of everything. And that made me a lot more sort of cautious about my surroundings, but I never really thought that that was, you know, anything out of the ordinary or anything that would be put as a label as a diagnosis. But I do remember before I got diagnosed, just kind of looking up some of the questions that they usually ask you on a evaluation for GAD. And I started realizing that, hmm, like, they were asking me, you know, how often do you worry per day? Like, does it consume your mental energy, like your activities and normal tasks? And I did start to realize that maybe it wasn't normal to worry about almost every facet of my life. And by normal, I don't mean in a stigmatized way. I just mean the average person wasn't, you know, having these worries. And it made me realize like, maybe I could actually, you know, have a mental illness and be diagnosed with that. And so for me, um, OCD kind of falls under the bigger umbrella of GAD, and it's more something that manifests uh, because of that anxiety. So it's less of a root cause and more of just kind of a symptom of that anxiety, but it's definitely not like that for everyone. And I also know that GAD is extremely common and, you know, anxiety without the disorder is also extremely common. And so everyone experiences it differently. For me, it's kind of just excessive worrying about, as I said, a lot of different aspects of my life. So it could be social, it could be academic, it could be health related, anything like that. But yes, so I started seeking sort of more formal help when I was 13. So in middle school. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for explaining how it kind of manifests in you. Cause I know it looks different for everyone. Um, and I'm curious, cause you said you kind of we're looking up the symptoms like at a pretty young age, I would say. So 
Um, you seem very self-aware. Were your parents or anyone close to you, were they super involved in that process? How did you kind of like approach your parents when you were feeling these, this way? Right. Yeah. My, my mom was very sort of involved and also wanting to make sure that I got that help. But I think because, because you are right, because it was pretty young when I was, you know, experiencing these things, it was kind of hard for me to even express to my parents or even have the awareness to like transfer that to my parents and be like, this is what's going on. So I think there was kind of a, a gap in communication there. And for a little bit when I was younger, And so that resulted in, you know, not really being on the same page until I was a little older. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. That's really interesting. I feel like a lot of people will probably go through that same experience. Um, How did you feel personally when you received that diagnosis? I think it went two ways. It was hard on the one hand, because at that point I was still young as we talked about, but also I was in an environment where mental health wasn't really as talked about as it is now. And because I was only in middle school, I was confused as how to process it. Like, I feel like middle school is this time of growing up and figuring out who you are. And then I got this diagnosis and I was like, Hmm, like what's going on? Like, is this a part of my identity? Like, is this separate? There was that whole piece, but at the same time, it was a turning point because I think to a certain extent, when you kind of put a label on something and call it as what it is, it makes you take it more seriously. And it made me realize, you know, this is where I can now seek help and, you know, do something about this. So I think it went both ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, yeah, I can totally see how it could be kind of like, yeah, like you said, you're trying to find yourself at that age. And then also having a label is nice because you feel... Uh, I don't know if that's the right way to word it, but I feel like having sometimes having a label, even though labels aren't generally a good thing in this case, it can help you kind of relate to other people who may be in a similar situation right. and give you answers to what you're dealing with. Right. Um, so I'm curious how at that point did you start to manage your mental health? So after I got the diagnosis, I you know worked a lot with my family on finding a therapist for me. And I eventually settled on cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, which is pretty common for, you know, things like anxiety and depression. And I think for me, that was a really big thing, just getting into therapy, having this routine, getting homework every week. Um, and not only just talking to someone, but learning like the skills formally. And I I think, yeah, I think that was really something that helped a lot, but aside from that, Um, something for me specifically to manage my anxiety, which is really big is having a routine. I really thrive off of structure. And so I had to find things to help build that routine. I'm still finding things, but sort of things that are as small as, you know, journaling every day, starting off the morning, right. With yoga or some type of exercise, like my versions of self-care, things like that, which made me realize that my mental health is so like deeply intertwined with physical health and I kind of can't tend to one without tending to the other. So that was when my journey also started to unfold, figuring out my physical health as well, because they were so connected. Yeah. So you mentioned that you do like meditation or something like that. Sorry. I missed if you said you did yoga or what was it for physical health? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, I feel like that's a great resource and there's so many like 
free resources out there for that. I know like YouTube, there are tons of like yoga teachers who have content out there that people can access. So maybe we can even include some in like our show notes. So if people want to check out yoga, they can do that. Yes. I highly recommend yoga with Adrian. Yeah. (laughs) I know her and her dog. (laughs) Um, What advice, I know you kind of mentioned some of the things that you do, but what kind of um, other things or what other um, approaches would you suggest others take to mental health who, if you're young out there and you're struggling, what could someone do to kind of approach their mental health? I think especially for GAD, because a lot of times it really manifests um, in high functioning individuals. And especially for me, I do have high functioning anxiety where, you know, I think the average person wouldn't be able to tell. And so while I was, you know, going through it, especially like a couple of years ago, I really started to feel isolated. And I kind of painted this illusion that, you know, have, no one else experiences this. Everyone around me is totally happy, which, you know, is such a fallacy because it's, it's one of the most common mental illnesses. And so I would tell people that kind of look at it from that perspective where you aren't alone. And even though it feels like you're alone, think of it like this, like, other people maybe can't tell that you're going through this just as you can't tell if other people are going through this. And not only did that make me feel more connected, it also made me just a lot more empathetic and understanding towards others, just realizing that you never really know what someone's going through and kind of building empathy on that part. I think the second thing is in terms of a support system, I think that's really important, whether that's something within your family, your friends, even online. I think my my biggest thing was I always knew I had people to support me, but I kind of had to let them in and open up a little bit. And that's really hard to do. And so it's easier said than done. But I think that was a very big step for me, just building your own support system. Yeah. I think that's, you're so right. That's kind of the key. A lot of times when you're dealing with a mental health challenge, um, even if it's not like your direct family members, finding those people in your life that you can kind of count on and open up to is so important. So having that network, um, I totally agree with you. Um, so I was wondering if we could talk about uh, the pandemic a little bit, because I know it impacted your mental health. So I was wondering um, what happened to your mental health when the pandemic hit um, and where were you in your life and how did it impact you? Yeah. So it's funny when the pandemic hit, I was in my second semester of, ju- of junior, like junior year, I believe. Yeah. Junior year. And I was honestly doing pretty well. I feel like, as I was saying, I was managing my anxiety. I had a good routine and it's interesting because for me, one of the biggest anxiety triggers is health related things, you know, so kind of going to the doctor, getting tests run, just like anyone getting sick, that's kind of a big no for me. And so as you can probably imagine, it was really scary um, when sort of kind of an irrational fear almost like came true, um, which is really rare. And I think in the beginning, it was honestly more of a shock and I wasn't really processing anything. You know, we were all, most of us were home and, you know, I, that wasn't really when my anxiety kicked in. I think the hardest part was sort of in the months later when people started kind of adjusting back to life, schools started opening up for hybrid learning. And I started to feel really kind of left behind because I felt like everyone was 
you know, just moving on. And I, I couldn't, and I, w- I just was afraid and I wasn't ready to, and that didn't just take a toll on me. I think it really kind of put some of my relationships and friendships to test because, you know, obviously that affects your mental health, but I wasn't socializing as much as I wanted to be. And so it was kind of this cycle and I couldn't really get out of it until I figured out a way to respond to it. Yeah, that, I think that's super relatable. I I I don't I can't say I experienced anxiety with the pandemic, but I definitely was extremely cautious when things start opening back up to the point of like when we have like surges, I'm like, I'm gonna work from home for a little bit. And you know, I don't want to socialize with people, especially people I know who aren't vaccinated. So it's definitely um finding your own rhythm during that time. So I'm kind of curious, like what did you how did you kind of adjust? And how did you kind of like push yourself to, um, to manage your anxiety during that time? Yeah, I think it was really hard, but I had to come and accept the hard truth that, you know, I'm doing everything I can. And then there are also some things I just, you know, can't control. Mm-hmm. And I sort of learned that lesson in the past where I've gone through a lot of points and phases in my life where I've really tried hard to control and predict the future. And not only have I not been able to, it took away so many of those moments where I could have been in the present. And I just started to realize how much I was missing out on, you know, my senior year in high school and just trying to make the best of what I could, you know, because we were all going through the same thing and it's really just how you respond to it. So it was things like, you know, what I can control is, you know, making sure my immune system is strong, like making sure I'm still socializing with people and going outside And so I think that mindset really helped me. And just at the end of the day, telling myself that this isn't forever, this is temporary and taking it one day at a time, like really compartmentalizing. Mm -hmm. I think those are all great, great little tidbits of advice. Um, Yeah, definitely having that perspective is so important. Um, And like you said, like, I like the thing that you said about having control, like you can only control so much within yourself. So it's just about managing that and then the outside forces, you know, just trying to navigate those with what you can control. Right. Um, So I wanted to kind of also um, talk about your transition to college, because I know that kind of impacted your mental health too. Um, Did you feel, well, what was that transition like for you first? Yeah. So college was something even years prior that was a really big source of anxiety. I think I I'm very close to my family and I'm, you know, very an attached type of person. I think that comes a little bit with the anxiety. And so I was very nervous and I think it's, it's interesting to look back on it now because it went a lot smoother than I thought. And partially, I think that's because, you know, I worked myself up a little bit, but I did think that I really worked a lot with my therapist in the months prior on making a plan And just figuring out what to do in those moments when I may feel lonely or stressed or just so overwhelmed. And just doing that really helped when I was in the moment because I felt really prepared and I almost kind of expected it and knew what to do and knew how to respond. And I also think it just helps knowing that everyone else is also moving in and everyone else is in the same boat as me. they may not admit it, but they must feel some, some sort of what I'm feeling too, even if they're not talking about it. Definitely. Yeah. It's such an interesting time in your life where you're 
separated from everything you've ever known, <laughs> essentially, um, and trying almost like starting fresh. Um, so I definitely think you you went to college fully prepared, it sounds like, with um, like a toolkit of, of how to manage that. Um, for someone who maybe isn't in therapy or doesn't have those skills, what would you, what kind of advice would you give them um, in regards to taking care of their mental health when they first enter college? Yeah, I think more sort of tangible things, something that helped me a lot was any physical reminders of stability or familiarity or home. And so I found that within, you know, just scheduling 15, 10, 15 minute calls with friends or family members, or even kind of decorating your room with things that remind you from home, eating something that reminds you of home, just these small things that honestly really do make a difference in those beginning weeks. But I think in terms of like mindset and ways I shift in my thoughts, I think a lot of times people don't really talk about or kind of, they kind of underestimate the magnitude of this transition and how much change it is. And kind of letting yourself feel and not like suppressing those emotions during the transition. And instead just kind of, you know, if a wave of homesickness or loneliness hits, you just kind of roll with it instead of trying to push it down because, you know, at the end of the day, it is healthy and it it, it will prevent you from kind of having those emotions come up later. Yeah, definitely. I think that's good advice. Did you find any resources like on campus that are on other college campuses that were really helpful um, during that transition? Yeah. So for me, I didn't directly use any of the resources, but there are such a vast amount of online and in-person mental health resources and kind of hotlines you can call and, you know, um, psychologists you, you can schedule sessions with. And so just kind of knowing that was there, like grounded me and just knowing I could reach out to someone if I needed to was really helpful. So. I'm glad. I'm really grateful that I have that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of college campuses are stepping up their um, mental health resources too, which is great to see. So I'm hoping that that is something that everyone can kind of have access to in the future. Cause I know that there's like only a couple people on, on campus um, like per like thousands of students. So hopefully in the future it'll increase and we'll see even more mental health resources on college campuses and high school too. (laughs) Yeah. I'd love to talk about mental health and your art. Um, You mentioned that you're a poet and a writer. um, So I wanted to kind of ask about um, how did you first get into writing? What kinds of things inspire you? Yeah. Yeah. So I have been writing for a really long time. It started out not as poetry, just more as journaling, as I was saying. I just always felt inclined to kind of write something down. Just, I was just always writing in in random journals and I I wish I could find them and just like look back at what I was writing when I was younger. But I do think that around kind of, I don't remember how old I was, when I was still pretty young, I started gravitating towards poetry versus just journaling and free writing. Because for me, I just really thought it was very cool how the form is so much more freeing and it's not just about what you say but about how you say it and what tools you use to say it so I kind of just had this little passion and I wasn't really sharing it with anyone it was really private 
But I do think in high school, I started realizing it's more than just like a little side hobby. And like, I really think that I would want to pursue this and take it more seriously. So I started taking more courses and actual classes and workshops and I'm still, you know, figuring out and even taking it to another level, but I think it's, it's really cool to know that I've been sort of having this passion for like a really big part of my life. And just always knowing that first comes before anything, it's going to be kind of a passion and something I love. Yeah. I love that you're also like exploring, you know, where you what you could do with it in the future. That's awesome. Um, So I was wondering how has writing positively impacted your mental health? I know we talked about journaling, um, but what have you seen any benefits specifically um, with like your short stories or your poetry? Yeah, I do think what I was saying about having a passion, whenever you have something you love, it can be anything. I think it's amazing for your mental health. It motivates you. It drives you. It gives you some kind of bigger purpose, but specifically thinking about writing, I think there's something really powerful about almost just like transferring your thoughts, which can be so chaotic and turbulent and putting them on paper. And for me, that that just always really helps. It, it feels like tangible and something I can look back on. And it's really cool to see how my poetry and stories have evolved over time. So I, I'm excited to see where that takes me. That's awesome. For those interested in writing and not sure exactly where to begin, do you have any advice for someone who would like to get started? One of my favorite things about writing that sort of versus other hobbies or things like that is you don't really need anything. You just need yourself and something to write on and something to write with. And you don't really need a specific skill set or training. Like I, when I started writing, I wasn't in any classes. I wasn't enrolled in anything. I just kind of started doing it based on my intuition and what I liked. So I think just writing, like there's so many free online prompts. So just kind of starting a journal, writing every day and seeing where that takes you. I think the other thing that has been really transformative for me is finding a community of writers or like-minded people like me, because so often I feel like writing is really private, but I think it's really beautiful when it can become something more public and vulnerable. And so, uh, you know, you could enroll in a class, join a workshop, but even just like starting and like sending something to your friend or your family member and having them read it, that a little step like that can really go a long way, I would say. That's, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I think yeah, sharing. I think we forget sometimes that the things that go inside, go on inside our minds are so relatable to other people that when we put them on paper, uh, other people read them and relate to them. It's such a good feeling. So I love that idea of like starting small, maybe send to a friend or family member and then expand from there. That's awesome. Well, this was so great talking to you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Um, where can people go to learn more about you or read some of your writing? Uh, my Instagram is at Valerie Brylovsky, so just my name. And I my writing has been published in other places, publications like I can spell it out somewhere, but Agave Review, the Helix Magazine, a Kickfrastic Review. Hopefully, in more places in the future. Awesome, and yeah, we can definitely link to some of your work in the episode show notes, so people can go check that out too. Um, but yeah, th- thank you so much for being on the podcast, and I hope we can connect again soon. Thank you. All right. Bye, Valerie. Bye. 
The To Be Honest podcast is a creative platform that enables youth and young adults to share their personal experience with mental health to help normalize the conversation around this often taboo topic. To Be Honest is a program of Momentum for Health and is supported by District 4 Inventory Funds, Republic Urban Properties, and BetterHelp. To learn more about To Be Honest, visit tobehonest.today or check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The To Be Honest podcast is hosted and edited by Avery Cruz, as well as edited by Peyton Dillahay. Music for the podcast was created by Julia Steele. For more information, check out the episode show notes in the streaming platform of your choice. Happy listening!